as a preface, we recorded this episode earlier in the spring prior to incidents such as the shootings in Orlando. Secondly, we recognize that the topic of gun control presents a great deal of controversy in our country. And while we share our opinions in the following conversation, we respect the diversity of thoughts present in the discourse surrounding this issue and hope that you will both consider our perspectives and offer your own to add to the discussion. And with that said, here's our episode. Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 108. I'm Kip Clark, and joining me in the studio today, we have a returning guest, Alex Piper. Hi, Kip. Good to be here. And it's good to have you here. So today, we are going to be discussing mass shootings in the United States and the relationships they have with everyday citizens, with the media, and various other factors in our culture, in our lives. So it may be a bit broad at points, but I'm very interested in this discussion with you. And to begin, would you give the audience an idea of what your professional relationship has been with guns, gun control, and related legislature and issues in our country? Yeah, I've spent the last two summers working for Everytown for Gun Safety. That's the largest gun violence prevention nonprofit in the country, and I guess arguably the world. We are the only country who really deals with this at a national stage. Two summers ago, I was an operations intern. Last summer, I was a research and policy intern. And last summer was by far the more interesting and responsible summer that I had in terms of what I was able to do and learn. I tracked shootings for the group, and we would highlight policy-relevant shootings, so ones that dealt with convicted felons who had acquired a gun, domestic violence, things of that nature. I was also involved pretty intimately with policy direction as far as where the nonprofit was going and what kind of state action ballot initiatives legislation we were promoting and fighting for across the nation. And given the multitude of related issues with mass shootings in the U.S., where would you like to formally begin our discussion? I think the best place to start when you talk about mass shootings is really the definition of what a mass shooting is. I think it's extremely misunderstood. The media, I think something we'll talk about a lot more today, really portrays mass shootings only in kind of the Hollywood glamorized version, the ones we're all very familiar with, the Virginia Techs, the Columbines, the more recent Charleston and San Bernardino shootings. Those stick out in people's mind as what a mass shooting is. But I think it's very, very important to remember that those are the vast minority of mass shootings. And far more often, mass shootings, which are defined by most databases, including the one at every town, as an incident in which four or more people are shot and killed by one or multiple shooters. And a lot of times, these shootings are the ones that are ignored or unreported and remain purely at the local level. They're not seen by the national media. They're not covered in the same way. And I think that a good place to start this conversation is understanding that mass shootings are not isolated incidents. They happen every couple days in the United States. By and large, they're ignored and they're hugely impactful. And they're coming in situations, mostly domestic violence, crime, inner city situations in which there's just not enough attention. There's not enough popularization of it by the media for people to understand that this is not a once every few months situation in the United States. And this is something that I learned at every town as far as how prevalent and pertinent gun violence can be in the United States. These are not incidences in which you are fully aware. But I also think it's very interesting and important in the way the media portrays these much larger, grandiose shootings, whether or not that's helpful to the gun debate issue at all, and whether or not these smaller incidences need to have the same attention 
and spotlight put on them in order to pursue policy change or further educate the public in how prevalent and important this issue is. I would raise a question to you as far as does the media cover what they should cover? Does it cover too much? In my opinion, I think there needs to be more focus on it. When you see all the major networks covering these huge shootings, by and large, there is some sort of policy implication that comes out of it. You can see this with the past few shootings in Charleston. The shooter had addiction issues in which they should have been prohibited from purchasing a firearm. They were not due to a loophole in legislation, and this was uncovered based on the nature of the shooting. If the media were to cover more shootings as they do these big popularized ones, I think a lot of the policy loopholes that allow individuals to get guns and perpetrate this violence would be uncovered and hopefully properly addressed. That's a really interesting perspective, and I'm immediately reminded of the divide between theory and practice. For example, in a laboratory setting where you're conducting an experiment on lab rats, perhaps, to test a certain drug or chemical or nutrient and various effects it might have on that lab rat or group of lab rats, the environment is precisely controlled. So you might have very clear statistical data. Where in contrast, legislators and everyday Americans are working with much more information, and I think to your point, not enough information because the media does not always cover it. And so I do think there's a certain responsibility, one, for the media to give clear and as best they can unbiased information, although I personally don't believe you can ever be truly objective. And I also think there is a responsibility on legislators to be very observant of any cases involving firearms when they, as representatives in government, have the jurisdiction to draft legislation in response. Because I think for every tragedy, there is, of course, the emotional and the human and the personal elements that accompany said tragedy. But also, I think it's an opportunity for legislators or any leaders to make a decision in how they are going to respond and honestly how they might prevent future incidences of similar circumstances and factors. But with that logic, I think there might be a danger of falling into a certain rabbit hole which dictates that legislators are like parents in the U.S. and we, the average citizens, the 300 plus million, are so helpless that we need a government to tell us how to behave and that it's less of our responsibility because they, as our government, should be looking out for us. And that's not the argument I'm making, but I do think some people might feel that way. And so I agree with you, albeit conditionally, that the media should give more coverage of these shootings, but I'd really like to know what you think about the potential parent-child metaphor as applied to the U.S. government in relationship to its citizens. Yeah, so I think the argument that somehow the United States would become more of this big brother type of government by implementing further restrictions on guns, gun sales, the use of guns, etc., is one that is commonly used and very, very popular among the demographic who support more gun freedom. However, I think it's incredibly ignorant to believe that the government is not here to legislate certain things such as restrictions on guns. Liberal governments across the world, including ours, have developed and been modeled with the philosophical understanding that we are here to protect certain rights of individuals and then to allow freedom in the rest of those individuals' lives. While I understand that we have a written constitution in which guns have been listed as a right, first and foremost, our government is here to protect the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness or property, as John Locke said, and allowing the freedom of guns and allowing lax regulations to flood the country with easy access to firearms 
threatens the life and liberty of far more individuals than the restrictions would prohibit individuals from pursuing the freedoms they wish to pursue. I think that's a huge distinction to make. And this argument, the one in which people think that they need to be more free from the government and the government is overstepping its bounds, is a very attractive one and one which politicians have cashed in on. You mentioned earlier that we should expect legislators to be incredibly attentive and responsive to the issues and occurrences in this country. However, we've seen that they have chosen not to be on this issue. That's for a number of reasons, but by and far, there is a wealthy, well-funded, and relatively popular movement behind the inaction on gun regulation. In my opinion, when you look at it closer, it's not because there's this broad feeling that individuals in America feel like the government is imposing too much on them. You look at every other governmental program, the vast majority of laws, they're incredibly restrictive on our lives. However, we accept them tacitly because we appreciate the benefits the government provides for us in return. For this one issue in particular, there's been enough money, resources, and political influence behind it to prevent any sort of change. And that does not come from a philosophical belief. I think it comes from much more of an economic and political saliency argument. And then really, really effectively, the gun lobby, the NRA, Gun Owners of America, these interest groups have been able to persuade individuals that this is the issue in which the government is trying to overstep its bounds and be inappropriately influential in our lives. And I think that that idea resonates really, really nicely with a lot of people, but unfortunately is misguided in a big way. Nothing the government has ever tried to do with guns has been an attempt to prevent a responsible gun owner from owning a gun and using it responsibly for hunting or for sport. The only policies that have ever been proposed regarding gun restrictions have been to restrict those individuals who we deem inappropriate to have firearms from getting them in the first place. And I think that that protection of not only others' lives, but of their lives is incredibly important. One stat that gets thrown around a lot is 88 gun deaths a day, roughly, about 90 at this point. And if I remember correctly, please don't quote me too strictly here, about two-thirds of those deaths are suicides. And that's a much broader, more difficult issue than we can cover right now. But it is not unrealistic to say that if guns were more properly regulated, many of those suicides would not only not occur, but would be much more difficult for those individuals who were trying to attempt suicide. And the prevalence of firearms makes it that much easier. And if we are a country and a society in which we value the protection of each other and the protection of our lives and our well being, then allowing guns to be so free flowing and easily accessible essentially goes against one of our primary and I think maybe the most core value as far as what a government should be doing, and that's protecting the lives and safety of the citizens. So on the note of what needs to be done or what isn't being done, you mentioned earlier that the media maybe should play a bigger role in this situation, but you said conditionally as far as maybe they shouldn't be doing everything or they shouldn't be doing too much more or there should be some restrictions on what their role to play is. Can you elaborate on that? Absolutely. I think it's really key that you bring up special interest groups and persuasion because guns and gun safety are not only prevalent issues in our country and seemingly really only our country given the amount of gun violence, but guns in being powerful tools, powerful weapons, I feel tie into very primordial and maybe even subconscious instincts. And I think similarly, fear is very key in many arguments about guns and gun control. For those who support more gun freedom, they might argue that they're afraid of 
dangerous criminals, perhaps burglars, entering their homes and threatening their lives and safety, or a government takeover, an autocratic system in which they have no power and they fear that, so they want to keep relative control of their firearms. Whereas on the other side of the coin, where you and I, I think, tend to fall, many people are afraid of dying or being wounded or having loved ones or, in general, their communities damaged or torn apart in any way by gun violence. And so I think it's very easy in arguments like this, and especially if you are a well-funded government group or a nonprofit company seeking to change the discussion, to use fear or similarly strong emotions in your rhetoric, which I'm not necessarily criticizing because it does make sense to appeal to others on an emotional level. That's how many arguments are constructed and won. But I think fear is also key in the media's role. And that's why my answer was conditional, because I think that the media has a very unique role in responsibility that legislators don't necessarily have and that citizens don't necessarily have. Because in the limited scope of our lives, we only really know what's going on around us. If I live in a relatively small community of a few thousand people and never use the TV or the internet, I might not know about a very serious mass shooting elsewhere in the country, and this issue might seem less prevalent to me as a result. And so the media, for many people, if not all of us, represents the source of our information. And let's face it, most people, myself included, will not do a lot of background research for every possible perspective. They'll hear about the big and popular and often sensationalized sources, and that's the story. They won't seek corroborating information or any other background details. And so in tying the media to fear, I think the media should be aware of, and I would argue already is aware that fear plays a huge role in what people consume and what people remember. And so when I say conditionally, I worry that more reports of mass shootings might make people more afraid of their fellow citizen, might be more concerned about a situation that may not escalate to violence. If they learn, for example, of the statistic that mass shootings are happening every couple of days, and they're exposed to someone who is legally carrying a gun in perhaps a non-threatening way, might they presume fearful things simply because of the information they have? Would they be more fearful of their average citizens? Might they even be less trusting of police officers who are legally carrying holstered firearms simply because that relationship between guns and gun violence has been exacerbated, perhaps, by the media? which is admittedly a very tricky claim to make because I do think more information is valuable, but it can at times oversaturate one's consciousness and also dominate one's emotional patterns. But I in turn would like to know what you think about that relationship of the media as a purveyor of both facts, but potentially uncomfortable and dangerous emotions such as fear. Yeah, I think those are all really good points. In my mind, when I think of the media bringing up these issues of gun violence and reporting on these mass shootings more and more, I think there's two reactions from the public. One is fear, like you mentioned, fear of everyday citizens, fear of the nation as a whole, fear of the gun violence culture we seem to perpetrate. The second is numbness. I think numbness is a huge, huge issue and a very, very real reaction to these kind of shootings. At this point, it's very easy to witness another gun violence incident reported by the media and say this is just the world we live in. This is just another situation of something we have to deal with. And that numbness is a very, very dangerous feeling. In my mind, the fear 
of other individuals, of guns, that results from the media reporting on these issues is vital, is absolutely crucial for any sort of change to come about. When we feel fear of something, we want to not feel that same fear. And there are different directions that individuals will take with that. I remember after San Bernardino, I believe there was kind of shock and surprise by some who witnessed many individuals in Southern California going to purchase guns and huge lines at gun stores. So this fear turned into this kind of counter defense mechanism that we talked about last time in which people felt they needed to protect themselves immediately. And the reason they're doing that is because they felt fear and wanted to mitigate that fear. I think the second and far more productive and maybe more common reaction to that fear is how do we solve this problem which is causing us so much fear? And that is when we start looking to the legislatures. The national level, not a lot is happening, but at the state level, there's still possibility and there is change currently happening. So I think that the fear you bring up is absolutely essential and good and far better than the ignorance that we currently tend to see somewhat of when there's only focus on certain events and this ignorance of these more prevalent, small scale, still considered mass shootings. And that kind of enlightenment, while certainly scary and disruptive, of our everyday lives and trust for other citizens is what will make some sort of change happen. So I guess I'll throw it back at you and say, I think that fear is important. And I think that of the media, which I do understand the media is there in a lot of ways to commercialize, to make money. However, I think if the media can raise more of that fear, and by fear, I mean awareness of a real situation, that that is beneficial and far more beneficial than a situation in which individuals are unaware and kept in the dark until something happens to them and more at a more personal level. So that ignorance, that numbness, I think are negatives and the fear that comes about from more media attention is far more beneficial. So obviously my opinion is that when the media brings up these issues of gun violence, there is a certain reaction in the public, a certain response of either fear, numbness, sadness, etc., but that that reaction can be productive. Do you think that that kind of reaction is commonplace? Do you think that the fear that we see can be productive? Do you think the way the media responds as it does now is pushing it in a productive way? Whether or not it's covered or not, is the way in which the media covers these mass shootings helpful? Or is there a better way they can do it? Is there a way we can influence them to do it in a better way? That's a really good question. And in my perception, the media is very savvy, not only about what sells, but psychologically, how we respond to certain information, what appeals to us, or in certain emotional ways, what grabs our attention. And I've often felt, at least as it pertains to issues of mass shootings, that mental illness is a key issue because many mass shooters, as far as I'm aware, are suffering from delusions in certain ways or perceptions that they have no other alternatives or that they are in some way achieving a form of justice through their victims, etc., etc. Often, I think, a feeling of crippling powerlessness is a factor and individuals who do not want to feel powerless in their lives over their own existence and therefore taking extreme and, of course, deplorable violent action against other people which is problematic, but the media, I feel, struggles or would struggle to depict complex issues of psychology and mental illness in a visually stimulating or attention-grabbing way that would encourage viewers or listeners, etc., to consume that content. And it's far easier to show a school in disarray or a tearful parent or any more prominent example of mass shootings in our country, which is not to say that guns aren't a part of the problem, 
but I feel that shooters who are on federal watch lists, those who have criminal records or have histories with addiction or other mental instability should be considered as psychological beings and that we as a country should address the needs of certain people in prevention of extreme tragedies like this and also, although I think it is more complex, a culture of ours that might in certain ways encourage or allow for some of this violence to take place. For example, the fact, to my anecdotal knowledge, that most of these shooters are male and in various circumstances, white males. There was a very troubling case, for example, two years ago of a young man near the campus of University of California, Santa Barbara, whose manifesto declared that his violence was because he was rejected by women. And so I do think a number of factors coalesce in our country to allow for this type of violence. And in varying proportions, again, in my theoretical framework, masculinity plays a role. Our American values of independence and self-reliance, which I think in healthy doses are not problematic. Our entertainment complex in Hollywood, which I think emphasizes certain action, often violent action as a form of entertainment. And various other issues that I don't think I have a solid understanding of, but in bits and pieces do seem to link back to guns as tools that belong in our lives in some ways. And so as a final avenue of discussion, we'd mentioned legislation at various points in this conversation, but I've seen many legislators argue that our Second Amendment protects one's right to bear arms, with which I do not disagree. But I will say that that constitutional amendment was constructed in an era where firearms did not operate with the same deadly efficiency that they do today. They were not nearly as powerful. And furthermore, that amendment was written in a country whose independence was gained through armed revolution, which of course turned into the Revolutionary War. And while I recognize that guns did play an instrumental role in the founding of our nation, I also think that we've become a very different country in the past 200 plus years, and that the amendment itself does not reflect the state of modern firearms and various advancements and developments that have happened technologically in the past two centuries. There's a lot I really want to say about all of that. I think it's super, super interesting. First, touching on the Second Amendment, I think it's really fascinating how the Second Amendment has become synonymous with individual gun rights. The way it's written, as told by Second Amendment scholars, is that it literally gives us the rights to bear arms, to form a militia, in order to protect the state. And like you said before, not only was it a time in which gun technology was extremely different, but this is also a time in which we didn't have a national army. I don't think we had a national police force at that time. This was literally a time in which self-defense and the defense of a community relied on the individual's ability to form militias and then protect the community. This is no longer the case, obviously. 2008 was the first time that the Supreme Court defended and upheld the individual's right to bear arms for self-defense in the private home. I did not know until very, very recently this idea that we could all own guns legally and use them has not really been a universal belief. There's a lot of stories, a lot of very interesting anecdotes that can point to the fact that the Second Amendment has been popularized and commercialized extremely efficiently in the past couple decades in order to promote basically the gun industry in the United States. So I think that's a very different issue, a very, very interesting one, a very complicated one. But I wanted to go back to something you mentioned earlier. You were talking about mental health, how individuals are portrayed, the motives of individuals in mass shootings. 
And it sounded like you were kind of touching around this issue of who kills people. Do guns kill people or do people kill people? A very, very popular argument by those who support less gun regulation is that it is people killing people and the guns can't be held responsible and therefore mental health, those kind of issues are the ones that are really at play here. No one disagrees that mental health is incredibly important and something that we do a very poor job of here in the United States. However, I would like to kind of throw this question back at you and ask whether the immediacy of these threats of individuals with addiction issues, other mental instabilities, psychological issues, which certainly need to be addressed, but which will certainly take a lot longer to address, does that not mean that the gun issue should be the first thing we look at? If you look at the case at the University of California, Santa Barbara, the individual's parents had pretty serious concerns with his mental health at the time. They asked the police to go check up on him, and when they did, they saw no immediate signs of taking any sort of action. This was due to laws set up to protect the privacy of an individual. However, if there were a regulation that said a family or a close friend had reason to believe that somebody had firearms and was mentally unstable, and there was some sort of regulation that allowed the police to then enter a private residence with a search warrant and look for those kind of things, look for firearms, look for signs that an individual might be planning to hurt somebody or themselves, these kind of incidences could be prevented. And obviously, that does not prevent the fact that the person had mental illness and does not help them get better, but it does provide a more immediate resolution to possibly very, very serious violence like we saw. So in my mind, the two issues are intrinsically connected. However, there is one issue which can be far more immediately and more effectively solved, or at least improved, and that is keeping the guns out of the hands of those who will use it improperly. So do you think in response to that, the mental health issues in the United States, which certainly need to be addressed, need to take a backseat to these kind of issues as far as access to guns, ability for others to report concerns of individuals with guns? understanding that it is a major violation or breach of personal privacy at this point. I think it's necessary, but what do you think about it? Well, my first thought is a somewhat utilitarian one. In a mathematical sense, I wonder how many people suffer from very serious issues of mental health, and conversely, how many people suffer from very serious issues related to guns and gun control. Of course, the latter might offer more visible examples of people who have been wounded or killed by gun violence, but also in touching back on our discussion of fear, I think that gun violence affects a lot of people in ways that are not always so visible and might lead a person, as we'd mentioned earlier, to be more fearful or less trusting in some ways. And I will say, despite the fact that I think I'm more sympathetic to causes related to mental health and mental illness, that I would actually find legislation regarding gun control perhaps to be more immediately effective, given that possession of guns is a very black and white issue. You either possess a gun or you do not. Your household might contain a gun or it does not. Whereas with mental illness, someone may be clinically depressed, anxious, etc., But sometimes diagnosis is not always as easy. Certain therapists or doctors might not be as keen at identifying certain issues that are absolutely there and are absolutely an issue which should be addressed in our country and in the world we live in. But I will admit that in terms of legislation, it might be far easier to address issues of gun control than mental illness, which is not to say the latter is not important. But I see where you're coming from, and I think I feel, at least in a legislative sense, very similarly. 
Before we close this episode, what would you like the audience to think about after listening to this discussion? I think a good thing to think about, a good way to kind of wrap up this conversation for the listeners is to really consider the way you perceive shootings and violence in America, especially when it's reported, especially when you watch coverage of the next inevitable mass shooting in this country. Think really deeply how it's affecting you as far as what kind of changes, what kind of emotional response you have. And then maybe just as importantly or more importantly, examine the way it affects your family members, your community, the people around you, because it is in the way we respond to these things that is really going to make a difference for the next time. I think this country's come a long, long way, even since the Newtown shooting, in which huge gun policy was sent to the floor of the Senate and essentially nothing came out of it. That kind of reaction was both inspiring and really devastating for a lot of people. And in the preceding years, we've seen more tragic incidents of mass gun violence in this country. However, the response has been to mobilize at a grassroots level, state to state, community to community, to make changes in order to make this country safer. So I guess I would like to leave the listener with a thought of, if this issue affects you, and I have to believe that it does at some level, what is your response the next time you see a report, the next time you see the media say people were shot in this location by this person? How are you feeling about it? And how do you want the country, your community to respond to it? And how will you respond to it? I agree with you completely. Those are all very crucial to think about. And I would be very curious, as I often am, to hear what international listeners think about issues like this and topics like this, especially in the perception I have that many non-Americans consider our country to be incredibly violent because of these reportings. And you and I can attest to the fact that there are very many peaceful communities that are far more removed from certain issues of violence, at least in a tangible way. And for the many American listeners that we have, I would also be curious to know not only what your response is to certain media coverage or other stories you've heard regarding mass shootings and gun violence, but also to take note of what your conversations look like with friends and family in the instances when you discuss what has happened, where those conversations go, and what you end up discussing, or even where you fall on this issue, because Alex and I, of course, are only two people, and our views tend to fall in favor of gun control, but of course there are people out there who would disagree, and I for one would very much like to know why they feel the way they do and how they would defend those stances. But Alex, I'd like to thank you very much for coming on and discussing all of this today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. As uh, tough a conversation as it is, I think it's extremely important. But as with any conversation we have on this show, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. Ours are only two voices, and we would genuinely love to hear what you're thinking and feeling as you've listened to this conversation. So if you do have any thoughts, feedback, or opinions of any kind, please reach out to us. You can connect with us via Twitter or Facebook, where if you like our page, you'll receive weekly updates when we post new episodes. You can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to as well as reviewing the show and sharing it with someone you think might enjoy it or get something out of it. And as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off.